Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm holding it right now. Let me... Doesn't it feel nice? It's so... It's soft. There are... That's the pages against the mic. Mm. Ooh, listen to all those words. I know. ASMR. I, lady, Hello and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And today... Caroline, we have given birth Ooh. to a book. Yes! <laughs> yes, Unladylike, a field guide to smashing the patriarchy and claiming your space, is here. It exists. Should we have gotten each other, like, push presents or something? I, I mean, Well, I, I think that each of us writing half of the book and keeping each other sane and just generally alive— mm-hmm. That's push present enough for me. True, true. Um, But now y'all get to get in on this present. Like, you get to read it today. It is finally out. It is a real thing that you can have. And in honor of this exciting event, we're basically having a podcast christening. (laughs) And to do that, we're trying something a little different today. Okay, well, I thought... I would just take a stab at kind of explaining what's happening today. This is our fabulous senior producer of Unladylike, Abigail Keel. I thought instead of forcing you guys to have a conversation with each other about the book that you wrote together um, and asking each other stilted questions about the process, um, it might be fun if... I actually asked you real questions that I have um, (laughs) about the book. Yeah, so we work with Abigail on the podcast, but she hasn't gotten to hear all the -the behind-the-scenes deets about the book. She's just seen our in-front-of-the-scenes sweatpants and and anxiety. Yep. So I thought it would be fun to force you guys to sit down, answer all my questions about the book, and then let everybody in the world hear it. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I thought it would be fun. To force us to sit down and answer questions. That sounds like an interrogation. <laughs> but it does sound fun. And it was really fun. I mean, every week we get to tell y'all exciting and interesting stories about women breaking the rules, whether historically or right now, IRL. But we don't actually tell y'all that much about us. So today, we're going there. We'll tell y'all who inspired this book, what we called it before unladylike, what we left on the cutting room floor, so to speak, which really just means a lot of secret Google Docs. Plus, who made all the pretty pictures inside the book and what we learned about the world and ourselves while writing it. Spoiler, y'all, we get really real. And smash some really real patriarchy. Regardless of who we are, what we look like, and how many advantages life has dropped in our laps, 
none of us is immune to patriarchy's ladylike claptrap. Guys get entitlement, gals get objectified, and non-binary folks get dehumanized and worse. Like a broken record, women are still incentivized to be sexy, but not slutty, beauty conscious, but not vain, motherly, but not smothering, and presidential, but not mannish. The only women patriarchy fears more than unladylike women are persistent unladylike women. We're flies in the ointment, harpies at the frat house, and pussies grabbing back. So long as we're gutsy enough to get loud, loose, and livid, unladylike witches do what it takes to smash the patriarchy that stands in our way. Y'all, that's our real book text coming to you live from our real audiobook. That's right. We not only wrote a book, we also read it out loud. Well, technically half a book because you and I both read it together. But enough about audiobooks. Yeah, true, true. We've got a podcast to do. So let's get back to Abigail. Um, okay, so first, let's kind of, you know, set the stage for folks. They know Unladylike the podcast, but let's help them get to know Unladylike the book. It's uh, a beautiful hardcover book. It's got um, 281 pages if you count the index, which I do. Um, so what is inside of it? Unladylike is what we like to call a top-to-bottom, tits-to-clits, holistic guide to unapologetic feminist living. And we think of it as belonging to a genre all of its own, social justice, self-help. Yeah, so it's a book full of advice. It's like one big giant book of claptrap and potential solutions, uh, heroines, and lots of infographics. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, you know, if I peek open at the contents page, um, there are like 10 chapters. We have like gender trouble. We have uterine furies. There's a little IUD there. So I'm guessing that's going to be something about, you know, birth control, reproductive rights, things like that. We have head games, body baggage, beauty bargains, creep factors, sexual frustrations, money pits, talking points, marching orders, and lots of amazing little illustrations to go with each one. So it seems like you just basically covered, I don't know, like everything, uh, everything. (laughs) (laughs) We definitely tried to cover everything or at least cover sort of the the major sort of layers of the quote unquote female existence. So all of the common types of situations where we might encounter patriarchy and sexism and a lot of the other isms that are often interlocked with that, like racism and classism, all of the isms. (laughs) Yeah. And I do think it's telling that in our early brainstorming and concepting, we listed one bullet as advice-opedia question mark. (laughs) And um, it kind of is. Um, I want to have like a little story time, um, mm-hmm. and I would love for you to tell me the story of how this book came to be. <laughs> the book was inspired by a young woman who was fed up. So uh, Kristen and I were delivering a keynote address at a women's leadership conference at Clemson University a couple of years ago. And um, after we delivered this talk on imposter syndrome, a young woman approached us and basically said, like, I love everything you said. I agree with it. But how do I stand up for myself when I'm the only woman 
in my class or one of very few women in my classroom. And all of these guys, professors included, are ready to shout me down. And we were able to give her some like initial advice, like you go girl type advice. But ultimately, when we got in the car to drive back to Atlanta, uh, we were really sort of wrestling with the fact that we didn't have better, more comprehensive advice for her. Because essentially what she was asking us is, I think, a question that a lot of us have asked ourselves, which is how can we be the change that we want to see in the world? And I think young women in particular are are especially like dedicated to figuring this question out because a lot of us do witness sexism and other nonsense happening around us or happening at us. And also, I think the more we started thinking about it, the clearer it became how how relatable those scenarios really were to our personal journeys as well, because frankly, our first podcast together, Stuff Mom Never Told You, was something that had to be fought for. Like its very existence kind of had to be fought for because it launched in 2009. And even though that wasn't that long ago, at the time, working for a digital company that was really focused on a male demographic at the time, focused on science and technology, um, there was this idea that women were kind of too niche for us to be (laughs) serving up content specifically to reach them. And I don't say that as a diss against the people making decisions at the time, but rather as a reflection of uh, sort of the cultural temperature. Because even back then, like Jezebel um, was still kind of this under the radar ish thing. Beyonce had not come out, you know, at the MTV Music Awards with feminist emblazoned behind her. Like feminism had yet to become zeitgeisty. Yeah. And walking into a white middle aged male boss's office in my early 20s and saying, we should have maybe like a podcast about women uh, really elicited a lot of crickets. And that lasted for a long time. Um, but. <laughs> Uh, we proved that it could happen and that it was a valuable thing to do. Yeah, and it could get a book deal, too, to boot. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about the title, which is Unladylike, A Field Guide to Smashing the Patriarchy and Claiming Your Space. Um, First, before we get too deep dive into that, um, was that always the title? (laughs) No, it was not the only title. Wait, wait, let me guess. Was it um, like feminism, women, and gender? Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, you nailed it. (laughs) So we were pretty stuck on, you know, the whole lady aspect for a while. So we went through, you know, kind of brainstorm phases like, hey, ladies, a girlfriend's guide to everyday trailblazing. Okay. And then, hey, ladies evolved into Ladyland, which was quickly nixed. And then we went through a kind of an odd phase, sort of our goth phase, if you will. So we knew this book was going to have a lot of historical context, a lot of trailblazers, advice, perspective, vision, you name it, from women who've come before. Women who are dead. And so we did consider Dear Dead Women, Dead Women's Guide to Life, (laughs) and Networking with Dead Women was on the list as well. (laughs) But then once our unladylike light bulb moment happened, it just totally made sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's great if you wanted that two cents. Thanks. Um, 
But the rest of the title, A Field Guide to Smashing the Patriarchy and Claiming Your Space. So I want to um, I want to dissect this a little bit. Um, why was it important to you that the book be an actual guide? It was important that it be an actual guide, I think, because we wanted to, like, fill what we saw was an empty space in sort of the feminist canon because at the time— if you wanted like a an intersectional feminist 101 rundown, um, your choices were really limited to books really focusing on careers and professional careers or the one-off memoirs like Amy Poehler's Yes, Please or collections of essays like Roxane Gay's Bad Feminist or you had a lot of kind of jokey, fun feminist books that are great, but not exactly substantial. So we wanted to actually, like, take on this literal question of, like, can you smash the patriarchy? Like, what does feminism in action really look like for serious, but also with a dash of fun because, you know, it's us. Yeah. We spent a lot of time online in in the archives, like, looking at really old uh, Girl Scout guides that were amazing and lots of early inspiration. We just didn't want to be a voice who presented a problem with no solution and no context. And the format of a field guide is also intentional because in science, field guides exist not to tell readers what birds they should go look at or what (laughs) mushrooms they should go hunt down. They're the collection of tools and images for you to identify things in the wild and also make notes so that as kind of everyday folks, non-scientists walking around, if we see something different, we can add to the scientific knowledge. It's kind of this collectivistic sort of tool. And that's also something that we wanted to get across with Unladylike is that this isn't just an individualistic journey, like up some kind of career ladder where you're smashing through a glass ceiling and hopefully not getting your hand cut to pieces, but instead saying, okay, this is what, these are all the patriarchal species that you might encounter And we don't know what your situation is going to be, but we have an idea that if your identities are this, that, and the other, that you will encounter these kinds of species, and these are the ones to look out for. This is your poison ivy. (laughs) And I, Kristen, am very allergic. Okay, y'all, you don't need a field guide to know that we are about to take a little break. But when we come back, you'll hear all about our gorgeous illustrations by Tyler Fetter and some of the stuff we cut from the book for better or better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, stick around. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
I felt like, what was her name? Carrie Strug, you know, Olympics. She hurt her ankle. Then she did that vault and she landed. <laughs> and yeah, she was sure. like, yay. Cool. I'll insert the audio of that uh, performance. And this has been <laughs> Fresh Air. <laughs> We're back and talking about 1996 Olympic gymnast Carrie Strug. Not because there's a gymnastic chapter in the book. It's comprehensive, but it's not that comprehensive. Right. I was using Carrie Strug as an analogy of just how challenging it was to distill gender down to a 22-page chapter. Like, that, that's really hard. It really felt like that Carrie Strug <laughs> moment. But y'all, just like Carrie Strug, we landed it. Although, I'm waiting for my gold medal. <laughs> but you don't just have to take it from us. Let's go back to senior producer Abigail. I just feel like feminism has, for, for me in my life, been this like kind of ever-present thing. Nobody really like made me at any moment say, like, now you decide. Are you or aren't you? You know, it was just like <laughs> feminism has like existed around me and I've known it's a thing intuitively, but I haven't really had a lot of explanation of like what it is, why it exists, all the different ways that it can look like. And so that's one section of this book that I really liked was the feminism section because I felt like it was this really nice sort of introduction of just sort of spelling that stuff out, um, which, you know, even someone like me has managed to miss. And I work for you, you know? <laughs> well, and I think I think you've hit on something important, too, which is something our editor had to say to us, too, which after the first draft was like, hey, like, this is great. You guys have done a lot. Um, a lot of what you've written is like Feminism 401. <laughs> and even if we keep all the 401 stuff, when we're bringing people into the fold, we need to give them a little bit of 101 as well. Mm -hmm. And I think we should also say that Caroline and I were not women's studies majors. Mm -hmm. I did not take a women's studies class. I think for women of our generation, it can be easy to sort of take for granted as unspoken that like, yeah, feminism, we're cool with feminism, right? Right? Yeah. What are some examples of things in the book that you hope will help smash the patriarchy? Honestly, I mean, in providing the context that we do for why things are the way they are, that is sort of arming you to, A, understand what the patriarchy is and what it looks like because it's camouflaged, right? Like when you're traipsing through the woods with your field guide, a lot of times you won't know it until you step on it or step in it. It's like dog poop. Or get stepped yeah. on by it. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Like it's like it dog poop or bird poop. Right. Part of the goal in terms of saying smash the patriarchy was even having the knowledge of what it was and what it could look like. Because it can look like a million different things. Yes, it can look like the wage gap. But, like, why does the wage gap exist in the first place? Like, yes, it can look like rape culture. But how do you navigate rape culture? Why does that exist? How do you deal with that? Yeah. Well, and to bounce, bounce off of that, I think that our chapter, Creep Factors, is super important. It was—it's um, our chapter— 
really diving into um, rape culture, sexual harassment, uh, sexual coercion, unsolicited dick pics, yeah. all of all of the many creep factors that uh, female identified people often encounter. Um, and and that was a chapter that we were really intentional with from the get go before the book was even a real thing, because we knew that um, a lot of self-help or advice books for women just do really no job at all of preparing us in a real way for living and navigating a rape culture and to put it into language that people can grasp and understand. Because even the term rape culture sounds just so overwhelming. Yeah. And I I think that You know, technically, when you talk about issues of the patriarchy and rape culture and wage gaps, that stuff is really depressing. It's very unfortunate that any of it exists. Um, And it's very easy to despair and to say, this is too much. Like, I don't want to read it. And we made a concerted effort to um, not get bogged down in the depressing, dark side of things. So, for instance, we address the eugenics movement. We address forced sterilization of women, particularly women of color, uh, a practice that's continued up to today in some of our prison systems in the United States. But as dark and depressing as that is, we tie it up with reproductive rights and the concept of reproductive justice. I think in balancing those topics, we were able to include these what would be incredibly um, challenging, dark issues to talk about in a way that contextualizes it productively for readers. And that that goes to the creep factors chapter as well. Like y- the chapter doesn't end with and the likelihood of rape is terrifyingly high. Bye. On to the next chapter. Instead, it ends with Six Degrees of Dignity, which is a catalog of six intersecting moments from history where sisters did it for themselves and changed sexual assault laws, started the first rape crisis centers and rape crisis hotlines and like made these resources so that we could access the justice and dignity and healing that we've needed from sexual assault and trauma. So we hope that with any topic that might, yeah, that that might seem like, well, here here's another downer for being a woman, that we also offer tangible examples of how like everyday women, everyday women have gotten angry enough to raise hell, but they've usually had to do it together. And that collective spirit is something that also runs throughout the book. Okay, so... A lot of things in our feminist past have been collective efforts. This book was a collective effort. Um, And I think one of the first things that anybody who picks it up is going to notice are the really beautiful illustrations by Tyler Fetter. They're spread throughout the book. There are big ones, little ones everywhere. So I want to know, was it always the plan for the book to be illustrated? Yeah. And it was kind of always the plan for Tyler to illustrate it as well. Yeah. Tell me the generation story of her being uh, the the gal. So as of this recording, we have never met Tyler face to face. We are exclusively internet friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And we discovered via tweet that we were 
mutual fans of each other's work that then took a really big leap when kind of out of the blue, we approached Tyler and we're like, hey, uh, Twitter Kristen here. Um, What do you say? Maybe illustrating a book. She fortunately said, "Okay." for all three of us. Uh, Unladylike was our first book, and um, we wanted Tyler to be our illustrator because we knew her sensibility would just bring our message to life so much. And I, Caroline, I don't think we could have, we couldn't have found a better Tyler. Well, truly, I think there is no better Tyler. Um, One thing that we loved about her work is that it's almost deceptively cute. It's so colorful. It's soft and rounded and deceptively feminist and intersectional. You know, Tyler really has a focus on drawing women, but drawing all types of women. And we really appreciated that. Uh, Do you remember, like, seeing uh, some first drafts? Like, did you just have a moment of like, oh, my God, it's a beautiful creation. Yeah, basically. (laughs) That was like anytime we ever saw anything that Tyler did, even if it was just like a literal sketch, it was like, this is the best thing that's ever existed. Um, Because I will point out, too, that when the Unladylike podcast premiered, uh, Tyler also in her infinite generosity created an illustration of us that was not going to go in the book and she put it on instagram and i cried Um, she is literally the best yeah so sweet um one of my favorite things about this book is its inclusiveness um in almost every way And the illustrations themselves really bring that to life for me. There's one called Gender. It's fluid. (laughs) And it's like a pool scene. And there are people with every kind of body, all kinds of genders, all colors. There's an old person, a pregnant person. It's just really beautiful. And then there's also like a drawing at some place of like a vulva and they're drawn into four quadrants and like each quadrant looks different than the others and are like kind of different colors. Um, So I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about being two white straight women and how you achieved such an intersectional book. Uh, I mean, we were intentional about it. There was just no way we were going to sit down and write a book like media that we had critiqued in the past. Like, we weren't going to get into this and just be hypocrites about the whole thing. Um, We are very personally invested in presenting an intersectionally feminist look at the world. And that includes ability, age, uh, ethnicity, nationality. I mean, our very philosophy of being unladylike requires intersectionality because it acknowledges that ladyhood is a product of patriarchy that also reinforces not only sexism, but also classism and racism and uh, appearance-based discrimination, like all of these different kinds of things. So for us to not be intersectional would not be unladylike. I've been working with you guys for almost a year. And if there's one thing I know about you, it's that you love you some history. Um, And I know that you had more research about amazing women from history that you couldn't fit into the book. So I wanted to give you guys a chance to maybe kind of like 
eulogize um, (laughs) one woman and tell us a little bit about a gal that got cut and, you know, what you think is so great about her. Oh, God. I I mean, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um, We are research obsessed and we had so many biographies, like full length biographies of women to go into this book. Uh, For me, a couple that I'm sad didn't make it in the book include women like Edith Guerriere. Um, She was a librarian in Boston at the turn of the 20th century. So there were all of these like very, you know, white feminist moves to try to force immigrants to and people of color in general to sort of assimilate into white American culture. And Edith was like, yeah, okay, but like, what about their lives? What about their enrichment? What about their fun? And so she developed what was called the Saturday Evening Girls Club for young women, uh, mostly immigrants. And these were young women who didn't really get to have a childhood. You know, they were like sent to work really early. They were trying to support their families rather than being able to go to school. So she developed this group where these girls would come to the library every week and they would put on plays. They created a newspaper. They had Uh, speakers come in to educate them about the country where they were now living. I mean, it was just the most beautiful uh, intersection of good intention and having wonderful resources at your disposal to benefit girls who otherwise would have just sort of been lost in the factory shuffle. Hmm. I know, Kristen, you have some documents with some, uh, like, text that— is preserved, but maybe shouldn't be preserved. Is that, is that oh, the right? Oh, it to should be it? preserved. <laughs> yeah. I think what you're referring to is a Google Doc of mine, all caps title, worst book draft copy. <laughs> and, Can you give us a sample? Oh, yeah. There are a lot of bad analogies and really corny jokes, such as in the beginning, patriarchy created the woman and the man. But of course, the man came first and he usually still does. <laughs> And then this one might be my favorite. I got really stuck for a while on trying to explain the modern evolution of gender. And so this is my attempt to try to make a metaphor for that using Sandra Bullock rom-coms. Let's hear it. 1980s. Elbowing our way into the Reagan revolution. Women transition to the workplace in earnest. Guns a lady blazering. (laughs) Focusing on de-emphasizing femininity, just like two weeks' notice, Sandra Bullock, a.k.a. straight-laced Harvard lawyer Lucy Kelson, who falls in love with idiot playboy Hugh Grant. I'm so sorry. My aunt is dying and it's What? What is happening? I don't stop. 1990s. While you were sleeping, Sandra Bullock, society came out of its coma to discover gender had arrived and, in fact, had been there all along. Do we marry Bill Pullman? Hi. 2013. Thanks to Lean In, we know that Sandra Bullock's shot-collar character wasn't bossy when she ordered Ryan Reynolds around in the proposal. She just needed sex with a ripped but sensitive bro. Right. (laughs) And finally, this one's for you, Caroline. 2016. 
Hope floats, Sandra Bullock getting her life back together after it feels like everything's falling apart. Then Harry Connick Jr. comes along and ruins everything, aesthetically speaking. This is a very bad metaphor for Donald Trump's election. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Wow. You know, I would say I'm really surprised, but I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Those are Um, incredible. Oh. Thank you. I I had totally forgotten about that. We're gonna get um, Tyler to illustrate that one. We're gonna roll out a poster for the unladylike <laughs> deep fans out there. Do I just still can't get over? Do we marry Bill Pullman? <laughs> what the wealth of rich metaphor that is hiding away in that brain of yours, Conger? Look out, world! Oh, I I. I don't know whether I hope or don't hope that our editor, book editor, was listening to this. <laughs> She's like, oh, that's what happened to your deadlines. <laughs> it's Sandra Bullock. But there's also some darker stuff in this old noggin. And honestly, writing the book brought out a lot of that, too. Yeah, for both of us. And we'll get into some of that real talk about mental health right after the break. Don't go away. Let's get one thing straight. It's totally and completely okay to feel your feelings and get moody, vulnerable, or emotional. You don't have to medicate away the fact that you cry when you're happy or sad or stressed, or that you angrily break out in hives when a gross dude cat calls you, or that politics and misogyny have you despairing a little. We're back, y'all, and that little clip you just heard is from our chapter, Head Games, which we, as writers of this book, were not immune to. It turns out that the process of writing a book is not all glitz and glam. Oh, speak for yourself, Caroline. I don't know about you, but I was wearing my sequined pajamas every day, (laughs) tiptoeing around my domestic high heels. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, I mean, we wouldn't be telling y'all the entire story of this book if we didn't tell you a little bit of what was going on with us behind the scenes. Can you tell me about a moment when you maybe wanted to give up and what brought you back on track? Yes, I have a distinct moment. Um, There was a point last holiday season when I was feeling so behind and so uncreative and there was still stuff that I needed to write and it was just like my brain did not want to produce it I was depressed honestly and I went home for Thanksgiving to my parents house and kind of chilled out for a couple of days and I came back home and was trying to get myself psyched up to write but also just feeling just dread of just like, you know, maybe I'm just a blob in sweatpants <laughs> and like that is my role. And what pulled me out of that dark tunnel, though, at least in that moment, was opening up my this old Google Docs journal that I had kept since college and randomly landing on um, an entry when I was about to graduate. And I was just so unsure of what what I was going to make of my life and feeling like 
nothing meaningful might kind of come of it. And I was, I could just read back and kind of feel all of that pain and angst again and everything that I didn't know. Um, And as much of a depressed blob in sweatpants that I felt like that day, I also knew that that depressed blob in probably an unflattering cut of low-rise jean in college uh, would be pretty fucking pumped with what would happen next. Oh, that's really sweet. (laughs) Do you have a moment, Caroline? My truth, and I need to stand in it, is that um, there was not but one dark moment, but rather dark months. Um, The entire process was very painful for me. Um, Every every possible insecurity uh, and ounce of self-doubt that I could ever possibly have about my ability to create, to write, to analyze, to synthesize information, it all came to the surface. So there was just, it was months of crying. It was months of gaining weight, um, months of not seeing my family. It happened to Kristen, too, of of we're not seeing the people we love who could potentially re-energize us and give us a mental and emotional break to, like, come back with fresh eyes. I'm just going to continue to sit in this chair in the emotional dark and research and write myself deeper and deeper into a hole. Um, but it was it. I'm on antidepressants now. I was not when I started. Um and now I am. And I wish I had been on them when I started because ultimately uh, they helped me focus and get past the hurdle of f- the fear of starting. Um, so honestly, I wish someone had slapped me and force fed me Wellbutrin a year and a half or two years ago. But, you know, you win some, you lose some and you learn something along the way. Yeah, man. I mean, that's real. And I think you have a lot to be proud of on this book, if nothing else, for freaking writing it. I appreciate having the space to be able to talk about the less glamorous sides of writing the book because, you know, it was also a mental health journey for Caroline and I working together and not only learning how to manage in a more a more intensive way, like our own um, anxieties and depressions, but also figuring out how to work with each others and support each other. Yeah. Can you give an example of that? Well, I would say in terms of uh, it's it's demanded a lot of openness and vulnerability. Um, and it's a lot easier now to tell Caroline, I feel so anxious today. I know that this stuff is probably all in my head, but I, you know, I, I am just I'm in a twist and I know it's okay to say, and I know it's, and I know Caroline's gonna know what to say. Cause usually I feel like when, <laughs> when we are both in our crises, A, there's a very good chance that like the other one of us is kind of spinning out as well. And B, usually like the pressure valve is released almost as soon as we just say it to each other. Yeah. And so one way that that has definitely come in handy now um, is if Kristen and I, uh, have tasked ourselves with something and um, 
<laughs> Maybe I haven't done it because I just got to it and was like, I don't know how to start this. Uh, I feel more comfortable just saying that outright of like, dude, uh, I got to tell you, like, I haven't read the thing or I haven't scheduled the post. I haven't written the thing um, because it just <laughs> gets it out of the way, admits that like I was feeling crazy and out of control and and whatever in the moment, whatever it was. Um Rather than trying to be like, yeah, you know, I, I worked on it and it just like nothing really grabbed me. Because like, what's the point? What's the point of like trying to cover your tracks with your business partner, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, just learning to communicate. Um, there's something that this is making me think about is um, just like, you know, you're writing this book is about like what it's like being a woman in the world and like how to identify all these parts of that experience um but you're you're writing about that while you're also living in that experience and like it's interesting that you guys feel drawn to talk about your experience writing the book and like the challenges that you had with each other and with yourselves um doing that because i don't know like part of me is like is that related to this conversation but then i'm like no it totally is because why would you have the insecurities that you had um <laughs> why would it be difficult to talk about the mental health struggles that you know you had while writing this book probably because of a lot of the stuff that you talk about in the book <laughs> you know yeah. yeah yeah no i agree well especially like, as you're writing about self-worth we yes. were literally writing yes. about self-worth health and wellness mindfulness and I mean, that's like the great irony, or maybe it's not even ironic, but that for me, that's like the great irony of like, here, I'm here to help you understand how important a foundation of self-worth is to the rest of this unladylike journey. And I was struggling with my own things of like, I'm, I'm apparently not a writer. I'm not creative. I'm mm. not able to do anything but read other people's work. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I wonder if um, the ex experience of writing the book or anything that you learned about in the book or wrote about in the book has felt uh, for you guys like a big jab at the patriarchy, a.k.a. have you smashed the patriarchy with your book? Um, we that is a work in progress. We are constantly smashing the patriarchy <laughs> with what we've learned. Look, I'm gonna say yes. Professionally, we smashed our patriarchy mm -hmm. with this book because when we started working on the very idea for the book, all of our creativity, all of our feminist content was owned by and profiting mostly men who were n not invested in our politics and. We took a lot of time and were very conscientious and very careful. And we did get an excellent lawyer who made sure that with this book, that it would be our own, that we would own our intellectual property, our message, everything. And initially, we didn't know that it was going to be sort of the life raft that took us out of our corporate patriarchy and into our unladylike coven. But I'm so glad that it did because only by really stepping out and claiming our creative content and claiming our like intellectual property and our message, like that is I think the only way that we could like truly feel genuine about doing what we are doing and trying to 
grow our message and our audience through this book. So in that way, I do think, Caroline, that on a personal level, at least, we smash some patriarchy. I love that answer. It's a fucking great answer. And I think you're right. Thanks. I think you're 100%. No. 600%. (gasps) Even a thousand percent correct. Uh, And the passion with which you speak about that, I mean, I would I would pay to listen to you. You should you should perhaps have some sort of podcast or some sort of platform. (laughs) Is that a blog? (laughs) Awesome. Well, should we have some sort of like cool sign off sayonara like I think um, you know, our sign off is same as always, you know, just remember. If you got a problem, get unladylike. The book. <laughs> At bookstores everywhere. Okay, y'all, so now you know what you're supposed to do. Go buy our book. Please. You can head over to unladylike.co slash book for some really easy book buying options. And, y'all, it's everywhere. So seriously, you can buy it from IndieBound if you want to support your local independent bookstore. You can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you want it. Unladylike can probably be found. And if you prefer to listen to our audiobook, here's a cool resource. You can go to Libro.fm, which is an independent bookstore for audiobooks. I didn't even know this existed before we recorded our audiobook. So cool thing to learn. Again, that's L-I-B-R-O. Dot FM for our audiobook. And Atlanta and Atlanta adjacent people, we've got a couple of events coming up, and you can find more info at unladylike.co slash book. So come see us and say hi. And if you want us to come to your university or bookstore or other venue that is not just like a basement, drop us a line at hello at unladylike.co. Unless it's a really nice basement, in which case we might make an exception. It depends on the basement. And please... Send us your cute readerly pics with our book on social. It makes our hearts sing. Just tag us at Unladylike Media on all the platforms. And we're going to be giving away a copy of our book to one lucky Instagram follower. So look out for that post on October 4th. And if you want to hear more about our writing process, subscribe to This is the Author, which is a podcast from Penguin Random House. We're going to be over there on that podcast in a couple of weeks, sharing more about writing Unladylike. Also, y'all, we're working on an episode about women and political office, and we're looking for someone who's had political ambitions as a young person, but ended up setting them to the side. So if that sounds like you, email us with your story or call it into our hotline, 2628-GALPAL. Again, that's 2628-GALPAL. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Nora Ritchie is our associate producer. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subrin is our editor. Ash Sanders and Abigail Barr transcribe our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radlett. Special thanks to all the folks who helped us write, edit, and produce this book, especially our literary agent, Monica Odom, our illustrator, Tyler Fetter, and our 10-speed editor, Caitlin Ketchum. And we are your hosts and authors, Caroline Irvin and Kristen Conger. And next week, when you pull up, there's like some pretty random signs like the speed limit is 69 or like bunnies (laughs) at play or whatever. We're talking about the sex trade with journalist Nora Tagori. She'll tell us all about her visit to a legal brothel in Nevada and 
what it's like to interview a pimp who's really trying to charm her. Make sure you subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss it. And remember, got a problem? Get unladylike. This is our fabulous senior producer of Unladylike, Abigail P. Abigail Peel! <laughs> <laughs> Stitcher. <laughs>